This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. John's Gospel, chapter 1. I'm just reading one verse, only at this time. <coughs> Excuse me. Gospel of John, first chapter, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. Let me just comment on that before we go on. Uh, particularly in the Old Testament, God manifested himself to people in different ways. But nobody actually saw him, because God is spirit. So that's accurate and truthful. Even though God manifested himself in various ways to various people uh, during the Old Testament. But nobody actually, physically actually saw God. No one has seen God any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father, in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Former President of the United States, Benjamin Franklin, when he was a young boy, he said to his mother one time, I have imbibed an acaphalous molluscus. And she swiftly gave him a good dose of castor oil. And then he told her, actually, Mom, it was just a swallowed an oyster. And then she beat him because he deceived her. So he swore from that day onwards, he says, never again will I use big words where little words will do. So at the risk of doing a Benjamin Franklin on you tonight, let me use not so much a big word, but perhaps to many of you an unfamiliar word, unless you're a Bible student. And it's found in that very verse that we read. He has declared him to you. And the word in the original for declared there is where we get the word exegesis. E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. There's maybe an unfamiliar word for you. But it's a simple word. Exegesis. And the word exegesis, or to give exegesis, or to exegete, means to expound, to explain, to reveal, to declare, to show, to make known. And that's what Jesus did with God the Father. He revealed him. He made him known. He showed him. He said at one point, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. In other words, if you want to know what the Father is really like, what his nature is like, his character is like, his actions, his deeds, just look at me and you'll get it. So S.D. Gordon said, Jesus is God spelling himself out in a language that man can understand. That's a nice statement, isn't it? Jesus is God spelling himself out in a language man can understand. Old Percy Parker, who was a principal of a Bible college one time, said, Jesus was the expression and the expressor of the thoughts of the triune God. 
Jesus himself said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 and 11, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the final letter of the Greek alphabet. So, in effect, he was saying, I am the divine alphabet. Everything that God is saying to this world, he's saying it through me while he was on this earth. Now he's saying it through his written word. All right? So, Jesus is God spelling himself out in a language that man can understand. He is exegeting. He is declaring God, making him known. We really would not know fully God except that we know his son. And his son has and is and will yet reveal more of the Father unto us as we go along in our Christian experience. So therefore, he is the divine alphabet of heaven. He is the alpha and he's the omega of creation. John 1 and 3 all things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. Now we get a glimpse in the Gospels of that creative power, just a little glimpse of it. For example, when he turned water into wine. Now you know to turn water, rain, into wine, it's a long process, isn't it? It involves soil, it involves grapes, it involves seed, it involves sun, it involves heat, it involves some kind of agriculture. But in a split second, in a moment, he superseded all of those laws of nature and he turned water into wine. We know that he broke the bread and fishes and it just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying to 5,000 men were fed. We know he had the ability to walk on water, to suspend that law. And so from time to time, he got just a little glimpse into that tremendous power, that creative power that he had, even to raise the very dead. So why would it be difficult to believe that he can create and did create all things? Colossians 1, 15 and 17, he is the image of, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And the word consister means to be held together. In Hebrews, sorry, in Ephesians 3 and 9, and to make all see, Paul is praying, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, note this, who created all things through Jesus Christ. And so as, particularly as believers, we are very, very conscious continually of Jesus as Savior, as Lord, but I think sometimes we should be more conscious as well of him being the creator of all things. Not just the man Christ Jesus that came to this earth for three years, bought our salvation by his blood on the cross, went back to heaven, 
But before he ever came here, he was the creator of all things. Even this very world that we live in. This is what the Bible teaches. And Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. But he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. And so again and again and again we read that he is the creator. So that is Christ as the alpha, the creator, the initiator, the one who begins things. But what about Christ as the omega? Well, in Second Peter chapter 3, Peter's writing here says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of, of a reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they are willfully, for this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. By the way, let me just interject here. The latest movie about Noah is the biggest load of rubbish that's ever been made for a so-called biblical film. The... Producer of that is an atheist Jew who said it's the most unbiblical movie you'll ever see. I don't understand why Christians then would be falling over themselves to see it. Because there's very, very little in it that's biblical. Hollywood has taken license big time. So people say, well, it gives you a great chance to talk to people who are non-believers about the story of Noah. Really? Well, you'd have to sit for about 10 days trying to go over all the mistakes in it and all the nonsense in it. It really is a bad, bad movie. But anyway, that's, I'll give you that for nothing. <laughs> say, David, are you going to see it then? No. I have no intention of going to see it. You say, well, how can you talk about it? Because I've read about it. And there's ones who's made it their business to go and see it, to refute it. So I don't need to go and see it. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the word then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We look for a new heaven and a new earth. Christ was not only the creator of this world, but he will be the recreator of this world. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. This earth will be dramatically and radically changed by the Lord. And that's a promise of Scripture. And it will surely happen. As it was destroyed with flood, with water, and had to begin again, Next time it will be with fire and it will begin again. And the Lord will be the one who will do it. He is not just the Alpha, but he is the Omega. Augustine said, He is by whom all things were made and who has made one of all things. Who is the revealer of the Father, the creator of the Mother, the Son of God by the Father without a Mother, the Son of Man by the Mother without a Father, the Word who is God before all time, the Word made flesh at a fitting time, the Maker of the Son made under the Son, ordering all the ages from the bosom of the Father, hallowing a day of today from the womb of the Mother, remaining in the former but coming forth from the latter, author of the heaven and the earth, sprung under the heaven out of the earth, unutterably wise in his wisdom, a babe without utterance, yet filling the world, lying in a manger. There comes a point where you just can't find the words to express and to fully explain and to describe the power and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although the Bible attempts it very much. He's the Alpha and Omega of creation. He is the Alpha and Omega of history. We mark all the years before Christ as B.C., don't we? We mark all the years after Christ as A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Now, there are many today who are trying to change that. But it still stands. All the centuries before were in preparation for his first coming. All the centuries since are in anticipation of his second coming. He's the central, pivotal figure in history. History is simply his story. No man has impacted humanity more than Jesus Christ. Recently, a poll was taken among internet users. And they discovered that after 2,000 years... Jesus Christ is still the most talked about, the most respected leader that there's ever been on earth after 2,000 years. That tells you something, doesn't it? He is 
the Alpha and Omega of history. And after two millennia, no other name is more revered and no other name is more reviled than Jesus. I often say, you never hear people blaspheming Allah, do you? It's always Jesus. Why is that? Why should that be? Why should almost every television program you watch, that lovely and precious and holy name, is taken and blasphemed and sullied and stained? One of the early church fathers wrote this. I do not think of Christ as God alone or man alone, but both together. For I know he was hungry, and yet I know that he, with five loaves, fed 5,000. I know he was thirsty, but I know he turned water into wine. I know he was carried in ship, and yet I know he walked on the sea. I know that he died. I know that he raised from the dead. I know that he was set before Pilate, and I know he sits with the Father on his throne. I know that he was worshipped by angels. I know that he was stoned by the Jews. And truly, some of these I ascribe to the human and others to the divine nature. For by reason of this, he is said to be both God and man. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega of history. He is the Alpha and he is Omega of Scripture. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, just back a little bit from where we were. These are the scriptures that we would normally read around Easter time. Verse 13 of Luke 24. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they talked together of all these things which had happened, about Jesus going to a cross and all the rest of it, so it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have one with the other as you walk under sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who, would, who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of her company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things 
concerning himself. Wouldn't you like to have been in their company that day? To hear the master himself taken, starting from the very beginning, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, starting right at the beginning, all the way through and all the way into the prophets, exegeting, explaining, expounding, revealing, showing himself. And then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us. (laughs) You know, they had read these scriptures all of their lives. These were godly people. They'd read all of those scriptures about Messiah, the one that was to come. And they had hoped that it was him. But then when he went to that Roman cross, it couldn't possibly be him, because he wouldn't die on a Roman cross if he was Messiah. Jesus said, do you not know that I ought to have suffered these things? That was part of God's plan. And then he began, bit by bit, scripture by scripture, just opening up the word of God. No wonder the hearts were burning within them. Isn't it a wonderful thing when you read the Bible, and you maybe read a particular chapter or verse a hundred times, and suddenly the Holy Spirit opens to us the truth of it. Your heart burns within you. You see it for the first time. Ah, I've got that. That's what that's saying. That's what God means by that. And so again and again and again, Jesus was opening up the scriptures to them. John G. Butler, he said, the foreshadows of Christ are observed in the historical books from Genesis to Esther. The the feelings of Christ are expressed in the poetical books from Job to the Song of Solomon. The foretellings of Christ are given in the prophetical books from Isaiah to Malachi. The facts of Christ are recorded in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The followers of Christ are seen in the book of Acts. The fruits of Christ are written in the epistles from Romans to Jude. The future of Christ is found in Revelation. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega of Scripture from beginning to end and everywhere in between. He's there. You can see him in every book of the Bible. And once you become a believer in Christ, before that, this book is closed. You look at it and you think, what in the world is that saying? What is that about? Well, you may look at it historically. But when you become a believer, suddenly you begin to see things that you never saw before. And you see Christ in ways that you never saw him before. That's one of the reasons why I love to read the Old Testament, you know. Because there's so much of Christ hidden in there that gets revealed to us in types and shadows. And suddenly you see it. And that's what Jesus did with those disciples in the road to Emmaus. He took all of those things that were hidden for all those years in that Old Testament. And he brought them forth and expounded onto them. And suddenly, for the first time, they could see and they understood. 
and then he vanished out of their sight. Because it wouldn't be too long till he'd no longer be with them in the flesh. He's not with us in the flesh. Now we've got his written word. All of those scriptures that he opened onto them, they're all here. And we've got the Holy Spirit, who's the author of this word, open these scriptures up to us and explain them to us. See, this book is different. This is no ordinary book, is it? This is the word of God. He is the Alpha and he's Omega of salvation. Hebrews 12 and 2 says he is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He justifies us, he sanctifies us, he saves us, he seals us. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said to Pastor Timothy, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Have you committed your life unto him? If you have, he'll keep it. If you've committed your life to him, he will keep it to that day. And in Jude 24, Jude said these amazing words, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Has he begun a good work in you? You can finish that good work. Has he started? He'll finish. Have you committed your life to him? Then you're safe in his hands. He's got good, strong, secure hands. And he can hold you and he can keep you. In fact, he says, nobody can pluck you out of my hand. He is the Alpha and he's the Omega of the church. I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's the architect and he's the builder of his church. 1 Corinthians 3.11, he is the foundation stone. And then he is the cornerstone, Peter said in 1 Peter 2. In John 10 and 9, he says, I am the door. He's the building. I am the door, he says, if any man enters in. So we enter in through him, don't we? He opens the door for us to come in. He is the head of the household, according to Hebrews 3. What is his household? Yuri's household. The church. That's his household. That's his family. Those of us who have a family, that's our household. Moses had a household, Israel, and he was faithful to that household. But Jesus is faithful to his household, and that's us tonight. He is the head of the church, Ephesians 1. We're almost through. Verse 15, Paul's praying here. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Here's what he prayed. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. And then chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church. As Christ also is head of the church. He is the savior of the body. And so, again and again, the Apostle Paul especially makes it very, very clear that he is the Alpha and he is the Omega of the church. And finally, he is the Alpha and he's the Omega of the individual believer's life. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul always loved to put Christ in his rightful place in his life. For me to live, Paul said, is Christ. And even to die, he says, well, that's just gain. It's a win-win. I'm in Christ, living, and I win and if I die in Christ, I still win. In Acts 17, 28, in him we live and we move and we have our being. My life is hid, Paul says, with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 11, Christ is our all in all. Colossians 2 and 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So tonight, Christ is the divine alphabet, the alpha and the omega of creation and even our individual lives. Put him first. Give him his rightful place in your heart. And if you do that, you'll find out he is the alpha and the omega. And he'll keep you and he'll hold you until that day whenever he calls or he comes. Because one or other is going to happen. And we're not sure which one's going to be first. But it's better to be ready, isn't it? And if you put him first, you will be 
ready. I was at the funeral of a precious man of God yesterday, a former pastor, retired pastor, just up the road here. And I listened to all of the tributes to that man of God. And there were beautiful tributes, genuine tributes. And the one thing that came through, he was 86, the one thing that came through was all of his life he had put God first before anything else and anybody else and before himself. All of them said how selfless he was in serving the Lord, even to his own detriment at times. And I thought, that's a good epitaph. That would be the way to go. That somebody could say, that person put God first in their life. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Make him the Alpha and the Omega. That man started out when he was 15 years old. He gave his life to Christ. He died when he was 86. And every day in between that, Christ was his all in all. He was his Alpha and he was his Omega. That's a great testimony, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, we magnify your name. We lift up your name tonight. And we say that you are the King of glory. King of kings and Lord of all lords. And we bless you that you came to this earth. And that you went to that cross. And you paid the price for our sin. And you gave us your life. And we thank you that you're coming back again. And when you come back again, you'll come back as king of kings. We thank you that right now, tonight, you are enthroned in the heavens. But you will come back again to this earth to receive those who belong to you and to take them with you. So we give you thanks for that tonight. We did not deserve this. We did not earn this. This is all by your most marvelous grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace tonight. Thank you, Lord, that whenever we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We bless you for that. And so, Lord, take us from this building tonight, knowing that you are our Alpha and Omega. You are the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher of our faith. And you're everything in between. Thank you, Lord, for spelling out God in a language that we could understand so that we have found God as our Heavenly Father. Thank you for that. And so we give you glory. We pray for, Lord, for next Sunday night especially. We pray that this place will be packed to capacity. And, Lord, that those who watch this dramatization, that their hearts will be touched and moved by what they see and what they hear, and that Jesus, the Son of God, will be glorified in this house this Easter. For we ask it in his name and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk You will also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal.